0: Welcome to the Main Deck Podcast. If you like games like Magic the Gathering, Yu Gi Oh!, Pokemon, Dragon Ball Super, Digimon, Flesh and Blood, and many, many more, you're in the right place. For all of our TCG news and content, and links to all of our socials, visit www.maindeck.games. Now, onto the show. welcome everyone to another episode of the main deck podcast this is the podcast for and by trading card games mike what are some trading card games that people might play
1: uh pretty much uh you know there's so many different varieties (laughs) on the spot you
0: can't even name one just name one name one
1: well dragon ball dragon ball super of course
0: great what else might people play
1: uh Final Fantasy TCG Pokemon T you know TCG Magic TCG.
0: <laughs> see, usually I, I'm so smooth at just naming a bunch of them. I wanted to put you on the spot and see what happened.
1: Oh you I know. The- <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Like I know the ones I play.
0: Uh I'm Dan Green. I'm your usual host, and I'm joined today by my co-host Mike Piper, once again, who is really good at naming card games right on the spot. When I don't warn him, I'm going to ask him.
1: Yeah, I know, right? That one was uh, that one was uh, making sure I'm up and ready to go. I'm. Oh, I am.
0: <laughs> uh, this is our third episode of the month of December. Which, if you're a regular podcast listener, you're probably already getting way behind because we we publish usually once a month, if I remember to. <laughs> and this time we've done three so far this month, and we have we have Mike. Do did you know we have another six podcasts to go still? Oh yeah, this oh, month yeah. alone. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. We're doing our 2022 lookback series, and if you've seen the title of this podcast, this is our look back episode, looking back at Dragon Ball Super Card Game by Bandai in 2022. Just kind of talk about how it was. How was 22 22 for Dragon Ball Super? How did it fare? Ups and downs, and and everything in between. Um, we were going to have uh, another main deck um, regular Kevin on the podcast today, but unfortunately, we just had a scheduling snafu and it just didn't quite work out so we were gonna we're gonna have a double dose of dragon ball super experts but today then we just have everyone's favorite mike instead so i'm at least glad you were able to to keep on the schedule here mike so oh for sure
1: for sure and i i know a lot about dragon ball that's for sure
0: i it's been your it's been your main game since since release or actually i remember that gen con when you and I went down there and, and, uh, it was like right after release and, or maybe you were even picking up, pro- you were picking a product that weekend, weren't you? Yep.
1: Yeah. When Dragon Ball first came out, like, yeah, I remember they had their first, uh, tournament at Gen Con. I didn't get to play in, uh, didn't get to play in it. Cause that's when I was just about to get in it. <clears throat> but my friend Robert actually, uh, yeah, the first set came out with the original OG Goku. Uh and uh yeah, I just, just started showing me the game. And at first I was a little I guess I don't know. I was a little like, oh man, because I played the original, you know, the Panini game. I I mean I went I played the score game. I played right. my first game out with score. And I seen this and I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm like, I don't because totally different mechanics, totally different everything. Um, But I'm like, all right, hey, I'm going to give this game a shot, picked it up, just so much fun. And I've been a fan ever since.
0: And this is actually kind of what you wanted to talk about, too, during our banter segment, isn't it? So let's let's do a little history of Dragon Ball card games here. Yeah,
1: so a lot of you, I'm going to start like Dragon Ball, like when I first started was when score first came out um uh score actually made the dragon ball card game and this was when i was a ninth grader in high school
0: can i issue a small correction yeah dragon ball's first tcg was called Annie mayhem
1: oh okay okay
0: which is a game that released that it was a very very small game that released um during that uh early in that sort of ccg wild west era so we're talking back when like star wars ccg was a thing look i worked into the podcast again um and uh that game like took multiple anime and just it was like kind of like Schwartz at the time basically Oh, okay. um so anime Ham had multiple different franchises and it had a dragon ball set and it was a really weird and wild game and um nobody really played it so it died
1: but yeah i was gonna say i didn't i learned something new because i did not know about that i knew i just know when i was uh yeah um i played the like pokemon when it came out we played pokemon um, we were one of those, like with my friends, like we played Pokemon during, like everyone else was outside, you know, playing or whatever. We were still in the lunchroom, still playing cards. Yeah. And uh, in ninth grade in high school, which was about the year two thousand, so that tells you how old I am. But um, Score came out uh, with the Dragon Ball, uh, the Dragon Ball card game, and it started off with the Saiyan saga. And, oh man, I oh those some of the wording on those cards were just oh they were oh they were really rough. Yeah, um, but yeah.
0: It's oh. it's an interesting. It was an interesting time because that um that basically the card game, from what I understood, I've read a few kind of different articles about the history and everything, and and the score game was designed by a guy named Jim Ward who had some previous experience um, designing board games, and I think maybe one other TCG before or something like that. Someone can maybe correct me. I don't remember exactly now. Yeah. Um, But uh, as far as I remember, Jim didn't really know much about Dragon Ball Z, so he just kind of like crash-coursed on it and then like threw together a game that just kind of felt like beating each other up because I guess that's what he got out (laughs) out of the series.
1: And, and just to kind of give like a brief overview, um, because it, there are different mechanics in the score, like in the score game, and even the Panini game is very similar, but just a brief overview, mm-hmm. and I know I watched the podcast with Mitch, I know you and Mitch kind of went over it, but like there's three ways to win, you can win mm-hmm. by, you know, decking your opponent life deck like you do physical damage to their deck and they take damage off their, their their actual life deck their deck yep um number two you can win by dragon ball and in the in the game like they actually introduced different sets of dragon balls so you had like earth dragon balls you had like the namekian dragon balls you had the black star dragon balls eventually we'll, we'll get into that but um <laughs> yeah the dragon balls and then finally you can win by anger so unlike the um the Dragon Ball Super card game, where you quote you awaken or you wish, or that's how you kind of change your leader or your personality. Um, there was a mechanic in the old card game, it was uh, called anger, and certain effects gave you anger. And when you reached five anger, you would gain a level. And in the old game, if you reached the highest level, um, you would actually win the game so there was another way it was kind of like another way to win and it was another way for you to access your more powerful characters and you could use certain cards that could get you to that point well anywho yeah um so i started getting into the sand saga and a group of my friends we started playing that we played it at our local hobby store funny pages hobbies they're in owasso michigan and that was oh so much fun that was like the day and age and um we started off with Sand Saga, a little rough on the uh, the wording. Frieza Saga got a lot better. Um, Frieza Saga had introduced, you know, it was a lot cleaner. The images were a lot cleaner. Um, the foiling actually looked like foiling. Like if you look at a Sand Saga foiling, it's so dark, like it's just. Um, Frieza Saga came out, and then the game really started. I guess gaining its ground and gaining its feet in the trunk saga because they introduced a really cool thing called masteries. So uh, you could focus your deck on a certain color because there were different colors in the card game. You know, like they had uh, red, blue, black, like martial art styles. And if your deck focused on a certain color, at the beginning of the game, you could put out a card that gave you an effect the entire game. Um, so like red had one, yellow had one, or not yellow, but yellow. red,
0: blue. <laughs> what game were we talking about? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I know. I'm confusing. Yeah, yeah. Yellow would be super. Yellow did not come in uh, Dragon Ball uh, Z. But yeah, they had red, blue, uh, black, um, Saiyan. Uh, eventually Namekian came out. Um. So they had like all these different styles that you could play with. And each one of them focused on, like, a certain mechanic. Red was all about anger. Blue was all about lowering your opponent's anger. Black was all about, like, adding additional damage. Uh, They had orange. Um, Orange, like, really focused on, like, your energy-type attacks. And uh, it it was so much fun. Like, our our, uh, locals just expanded big time. And I think it was—it wasn't Trunk Saga, but it was the the saga after that. It was the— the android saga which um that was actually wildly considered if you talk to a lot of old score players that was considered one of the best sets yeah they introduced like you know cards like saying destiny and um just some of the just some of the artwork on it was just insane but that was when the first worlds happened and i believe yeah it was either trunks or android saga the first uh world or they called it they called it worlds but it was like a national world type event and that's when we had our first winner which uh you and i know uh quite well
0: Mm -hmm. good old egg tongue there at
1: all absolutely ache and uh took it down do you remember unless i do you remember what deck you took it with
0: red goku yep i believe that's red goku
1: red master goku it was all about just gaining a bunch of anger gaining those levels yep took it down with red goku so um that I I will always say he will be like he's always my first champion. Like a lot of people in the Dragon Ball <laughs> Super Card game, they're you know nope nope, ape <clears throat> my first champion. Like Jordan marco hey awesome, he won it. Much props to him. But yes, who's the first uh uh Dragon Ball World Champion? It's ape. Sorry. <laughs> it's Ake.
0: um were the always... Anime <laughs> World Champions though?
1: Was there? I don't. I know. have I no. Be. I
0: have no idea. <laughs> If there no, is,
1: please. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, uh, I, I, you know, I know they might be watching this and like, no, I'm the real man. My bad. But, no, <laughs> I always, always think it's eight. But, yeah, so many good memories with the scorecard game, and they eventually made more sets and just playing with friends. And I remember during that time I really focused on doing the judge thing. Um, like I was trying to get, like, at our locals, because uh, um, the next two world champions were actually from Michigan, um, which was really cool. So um, that's where Wassel, Michigan, sorry, that's where I grew up. But uh, they were in Michigan, and I was focusing on, like, I want these world champions, like, at our locals. I want them coming to our locals. And I remember reaching out to them and saying, hey, can you play here? And um, one of my defining moments in that game uh, for score is I had them there, and we had this big tournament. And I was able to beat both of them in the tournament. Like at you know both of them in in the tournament and end up winning the whole tournament and just
0: so it's kind of like you're the real world champion, Mike.
1: Yeah, I know, right? Because I beat both. Yeah, right. Because I, yeah, I think them.
0: that's how that works.
1: <clears throat> um, and I've never beaten Ake though, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> Have you ever played yeah, him in of... anything? What now? Have you ever played him in anything?
1: Oh yeah, Ake. Yeah, because once once Ake became the champion, actually in later sets, he actually started working together with Score so like he would come and preview cards at later events and i remember um one of the decks that i like to play it was goku freestyle i love goku sure. freestyle because it was it, basically the mastery allowed you to search your deck for another goku named card and put it mm-hmm. into your hand and it just allowed you to, like no matter who you played you could be ready goku had so many versatile cards
0: Yeah, yeah, you guys might not believe this, but it turns out Goku had a lot of cards in the Dragon Ball Z card game. Who would have guessed?
1: Right? Well, he said, yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Goku, you could run Goku, Vegeta, Gohan. Mm -hmm. They all had a lot of named cards. But, yeah, Goku had a lot of um, versatility. And, yeah, so I had this Goku Freestyle deck, and then Ake was previewing the new cards from um, Dragon Ball. From the score game and lo and behold that's when he revealed Broly
0: or broly
1: broly yeah yeah you got it (laughs) yeah whatever i I will try to we're trying to negative impact on because he basically released it and went directly towards my card like directly against my like literally went directly against goku sure if you play a goku card instead of raising one anger you get to gain two anger per attack or if you if your opponent has a goku out and play it i was like oh i hated that card hated that card (laughs) and my friend played it too just just to spite me just to spite me but really good memories with the old score game and it was sad to um Eventually, what they ended up doing is after they went through all the sagas, because they went through, you know, Dragon Ball, they went through, you know, Android Saga, then Boo Saga, then Fusion Saga, then like Kid Boo Saga. Well, when they got towards the end, they made, and this one, you'll get a a huge discussion on this. They kind of made a controversial move. They, They went into Dragon Ball GT and they almost made, actually, they didn't almost, they did. They made it a separate game that actually linked with the previous game. So it had brand-new card backs, so it wasn't the same card backs. They had different card backs. And you could play the GT game by itself. They called it the focus format. Or you could play it together with the Z format. And they made some major, major rule changes. Like, we're talking... Mm -hmm. Instead of drawing three at the uh, the beginning of you know combat, you could look at your top six and choose three cards and put them into your hand. Um, the power creep was real. Like before, you would have like attacks that said, you know, energy attack doing eight life cards, and you were like, okay, eight life cards, and GT comes out, energy attack doing seventeen, and you're like, geez, what the? <clears throat> I mean, they really amp things up. I mean, personalities. Normally, like, I mean, you know, one of the things about the old card game is like uh, you had power stages on your card. And you had 10 power stages with your scouter and like a physical attack, would say do five stages. And once you hit zero, any stages converted to life cards. And then, you know, your physical attacks would use that power level. You had a little power chart and it goes, OK, I'm at this level. You're at this level. I do this. What's damage? So what GT did is they introduced the new personalities and now they had 17 stages on them. And we're talking power levels and like Dragon Ball Z, like in that card game, you know, you'd get up to like 10, 10 million, and you're like, okay, <clears throat> you know, um GT, like the lowest, like the lowest level on the power level thing could be like a million, two million, and it could go up, I think, uh, yeah, Gogeta ended up having like a power level like Omega. It was like twenty or thirty million.
0: I think it's twenty around twenty-five million. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Something like that. It was ridiculous. Like, and a lot of people are saying that is what killed the card game. I mean, I still play GT and I did play the expanded format, but
0: I, I would love to jump in. I have a little bit of info again. You know, I've read a lot on the history of the card game. So um or... my my info um, I'm I'm just going to throw it out there. It's been a while since I read these articles, so I'm not attempting to misrepresent anything, and if I get any facts wrong, I would love for someone just to correct me in comments on the video here or something, um, because it has been a while, but I'm definitely not attempting to misrepresent anything if I say anything factually incorrect here. But um, my recollection reading about some of the history of this was that there was um, going into GT, and I can't remember the reason why, but there was interference from... Um, the the execs, basically, more or less, at score. Um, and the decision to make so many vast changes to the game, which which include, as you mentioned, um, the m- adding more power stages, more life cards of damage. Uh, the life cards of damage being offset by endurance on every single card, which is a yeah. mechanic that allows you to um, banish the card when you take it as damage to prevent the next X damage, um, basically. So... Uh, So your 17 life card attack, you know, that's a lot. But if every card has an average endurance of two or something, that 17 life cards is really more like five or six, (laughs) you know? Um, So it's actually like, you know, it would balance out that way. But then it goes, went beyond that too. It was um, obviously the decision to change the card back, the decision to um, change the card graphic design on the front side to go with an all black look instead of an all uh you know lighter lighter tone look and then they the text being in white instead of in black on the lighter tones it's like it was basically they kind of inverted the color palette um of the the basic layout of the cards and then they also had to fundamentally change some mechanics of the game. one of the the biggest actually i'd probably say the biggest change to the mechanics of the game is instead of drawing three at the start of turn or when entering combat you looked at the top six and then rearranged them and then drew three which added a huge amount of control um to what's going on uh to to anytime you enter combat anytime you start your turn um and you know is that plus uh smaller tweaks and just kind of the general development of design that happened. And, and from what I remember reading, this was all to basically appease a group of execs who had really no idea what is, what the game is even about to make them, to convince them that this is now a new game and thus they will green light the release of it. Um, and that's also why the folk, the, the focus format was created specifically to, market it as a new game because they had to they had to sort of be able to do that i and again i don't remember why but i they for some reason and sometimes we don't even know why there's just execs yeah. metal and that's <clears throat> it but um they had to do that otherwise it sounded like uh the game was simply just going to end at the kid boo saga
1: yeah and then when they created the thing is when they created that new game there were so many cards that were Almost incompatible with the other game and almost made it where it was broken. Like, for example, Red Rush Mastery, I believe is what it was called.
0: Red Rush Mastery was so nuts
1: so they release it and like in the red focus form oh it was great i mean yep. it was like yeah anytime you put cards shuffle cards in your deck like you could you know when you use card vet one of those cards you could put in your hand
0: goes to your hand instead yeah red russian expanded was insane
1: yeah because there were so many good red cards in you expanded just, that did the same like that shuffle it just made never-ending so attack
0: chain yep. <laughs> is what yeah, it was it made
1: so many broken mechanics so
0: um and and i guess i forgot to mention too the leveling mechanic they had to change too anger was completely non-existent in gt uh it wasn't a term anymore instead you during your power-up step you could level by banishing 10 cards from your uh discard pile
1: yep and there were some cards that even took advantage of that there was a lot more so in in dragon ball z like the score like the uh yeah, the scoreboard. There were a lot of cards. There were cards that kind of just leveled you up naturally, where it just said you couldn't win by anger victory, like you know. Um, but GT took that to a whole new level. They really wanted people to use and their higher level cards, and you couldn't win by you know the most powerful personality victory. Yep, so they it was really to get well. to those higher level cards quicker, but you couldn't use it as a win mechanic.
0: I mean, so, in a way, in a way you know, GT was addressing some of the most common complaints from, from score So like this and definitely not saying that it's like, it was a, it was all bad or anything, but it was, it was just like the result of executive meddling. Um, really yeah. that was the issue, but, but it, people did appreciate that. Um, you know, one, one complaint about most powerful personality victory was you reached your level four, but then you didn't get to do anything with it because you just yeah. won the game instead. So it was like, and these were level fours that for a while <laughs> for a little, a little bit, at least we're like, ultra rare cards or level fives yeah. became the way you had to get an ultra rare which was like uh rarer than a secret rare was yep. is in dragon ball super right now um and you had to get that or you didn't even have for a lot of characters you didn't even have a level where you could get the most powerful personality yeah, you. Right. you had, you had yeah. to own a very rare card in order to do it and then when you got there you didn't you just won the the effect on the card didn't matter um unless you were using one of these things that says like you can't win by most powerful personality victory if you use this card
1: yeah and then what eventually what the big i guess I, i mean my opinion why eventually the game went out i mean we'll kind of briefly go into that but like eventually what happened is like in your you know they had your regionals your worlds you know like before The thing is, is like if you got like top 32, you got like a special card, not like a reprint, not like, I mean, this was Mm. a card that was extremely broken. They were so good. They (laughs) were so good. As a matter of fact, my one friend, when he went, he got top, I think it was top 32, and he got a card called Farewell Drill. That I farewell. absolutely needed for my free sell deck. I was like, "This card makes my free sell deck." Yeah, farewell it was, was only on top thirty two. And I remember we were we were talking about it. He had the card. And I'm like, "Listen, you know I need this card. You don't need it. How much am I going to have to pay to get this card?" And I remember how much I paid for it at the time. It was uh, how much four hundred and fifty dollars. Which I mean, you know, taking the factor, of inflation, and everything else. So I mean,
0: I mean, was, that's that's a hefty amount. But oh, you yeah. still
1: have it, Mike. Uh, no. Oh no. Oh no, when the game ended I did end up selling that card. Uh, well, sorry got, you I, don't I got I got my have profit it. for it though. That card went for when that game in. I turned around and sold for like twenty five hundred bucks.
0: Okay. Uh, that's what still it pretty goes good.
1: for now, I don't know. Um probably quite a bit.
0: A lot. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> the answer ah. is a lot. <laughs>
1: Yeah, a lot. But, yeah, I ended up getting 2500 for it. So, yeah. But uh, that was a lot of uh, where the game kind of just went. I mean, you really, you know, if you weren't top-cutting, I mean, getting these broken cards. And, I mean, I don't even want to get into, like, the details on some of these top-cut broken cards. Like, there was literally yeah. one called You're Invited that you had to get it was at the beginning you, you got it for the grand kai invitational mm-hmm. it started out in play at the beginning of the game and it literally says um just card a card from your hand and it forces your opponent to initiate against you
0: yep yeah and- really just a killer card for anyone who's trying to play any sort of building up turtlings drill oriented strategy or whatever no. it's like they you know they they you're entering combat with me this turn, so I hope you didn't just draw all your setup cards. <laughs> yep.
1: Hopefully you have a hand you can play with. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you don't have a hand because it's full of cards that are non-combat cards? Well, I guess you're just going to get beaten up this combat. I mean, yeah, it was yeah. insane.
0: Yeah, I'd say Little definitely card. Like going into the details of them is probably beyond the scope of this, just considering how much time we have. Would be an interesting, maybe like patron-exclusive podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, That'd be kind of fun to do, Mike. I think we should yeah. think about that. So um, then
1: we get... Yeah, so then we get into the um, the the Panini game. Which well, I was...
0: well, hang hang on a sec. You're you're, you're jumping ahead. The oh. the game died. The GT GT more or less killed the game. The anthology set never released. Um, and I I agree. I think there's a variety of reasons for that, but probably the biggest is that they they had a controversial restart. That again, I think was due to executive meddling. Um, uh, I, I
1: forgot you were even going to mention this one, the Reezy cards.
0: Well, yeah, we got to get there, and then and then um, I think the GT game also, like, if anything, it also died because GT just wasn't very popular. Like, who really cared about GT? But Score was ready to try again, so they released a game that was that fans termed Reezy. But it was instead of being the Dragon Ball Z CCG, this was the Dragon Ball Z TCG. Yeah. Where they they restarted. Um, at the Saiyan Saga with a completely new set of mechanics with like vague similarities to Dragon Ball Z CCG, but was not, um, wasn't the same game, you no, know, definitely.
1: You couldn't play it with the other games. And a matter of fact, I mean, some people, it was such because they did like four sets is what they did. I they mean, they got it four was, sets, a little yeah. shorter. A lot of people remember, I almost. Breezed over it. I mean, did I play it yet? Yeah, this one I actually do still have the cards. Uh, oops. So this is what like uh this was a really powerful card in the game. And what? The That's a,
0: is, for for people who are on audio. Mike is showing a picture of Super Saiyan Goku.
1: Yeah, the uh yeah level two from the original game, and <clears throat> or from yeah from the Rezzy game. Well, I dub it Reezy but
0: you know, yeah, sure, a lot of people me, call it Reezy.
1: Yeah. Um, it was a lot of, I mean, it was cool. That game, though, in order for you to do any type of attack, you had to pay power stages. If you were at zero, you couldn't do anything. A lot of times you couldn't even block. I mean, it was, I again, I mean, it was Dragon Ball. I'm a huge Dragon Ball guy. I'm going to play a lot of Dragon Ball stuff. Um, was it the greatest game? No. I still have some good memories for it. I actually do did play in a regional, and I got like an authentic regional coin for how I placed, which is really cool. I still cool use that. Coin. I still use that today. A lot of people are like, "Whoa, where'd you get that coin? Can I get it?" And I'm like, "No, nope. <laughs> like it, they did not give out that many, uh, yeah. just because of the game." But that was that was really cool. I mean, yeah. Again, you got that kind of the meddling thing, and
0: at, at that point, I think I think. Score had unfortunately burned the bridges with its fan base. And and I also, I imagine that at that point also, Score was not willing to invest as much in marketing the card game as... You, you have to keep in mind too, the Dragon Ball Z CCG launched at in in a golden a a previous golden age for trading card games when like any idea could get off the ground and find a fan base everybody was reading scry magazine learning what all the new cards coming out were people were people had just basically started to see how magic cards could become valuable like this is this is kind of like the honeymoon period right after people realized you know tcgs aren't really a fad they're they're going to be able to stick around here so then everyone starts making them and everyone goes Well, wow. I mean, if they're going to stick around, then anything here could be valuable and people start like buying product and they start playing and and having fun and everything. Um, And by the time Score Z ended and GT ended, we were well out of that phase. Um, There were very few games comparatively launching every year. And the just the the general base for games had kind of shrunk. A lot of players retreated to, you know, realizing that these games are dying quickly Um, retreated to the standbys. um, And I think, and the other thing is Yu-Gi-Oh had, had really kicked off by that point too. Um, And so you, the the big three basically had developed at that point, magic, Yu-Gi-Oh Pokemon. Yep. And it just made it, it made it so much harder for games to get off the ground. So Reezy was, was sort of a doom project from the beginning because the company wasn't willing to invest. I assume Um, the market wasn't quite right for it. And the players were burned by GT at that point already. Yeah.
1: You had a lot of stores that had old product too. And then it was really hard to get them to carry the new product
0: because that's a great point too. Yeah. We, we all, it's easy to forget about the impact on stores, but when they keep, keep buying product that becomes dead weight, they're not willing to invest in buying more. And your stores are usually your number one point of entry for new players into card games. Yeah.
1: So then it was kind of, it took a little bit.
0: um, You're going to forget one again.
1: Well, what am I forgetting?
0: The Bandai Dragon Ball card game. Oh yeah, okay. I you know you're trying to go to Panini. We're not ready for Panini yet because there's a period of time in the um in the late two thousands or early twenty tens, right before twenty tens, I think, around two thousand eight, two thousand nine, was when Bandai um had uh so so this was by the way, this is a different it's not it's the same Bandai, but really it's a different Bandai. Yeah, that's how I, saying, I don't know about this one. Okay, yeah, let me let me uh, elucidate you then here. Um so Bandai um had created a north american division to um attempt to enter the gaming market um trading card games and board games they were doing both at the time um seeing the popularity of games like uh, catan and dominion dominion was especially a big um uh sort of a big inspiration for this small wing it was this, this from what i understand reading articles back in the day this was a uh This is a a department that was made of just a few people. Um, I, I should have grabbed a, I I don't have their names. I should have grabbed my Star Trek deck building game um, instruction manual so I could get them. But basically these people were in charge of uh, making, making games and trying to, trying to kick it off. They hit success with the Naruto trading card game, which um, I'm sure some of the people listening to us played that because that was actually a fairly popular game for a while in a period of time when it was, it was tough for smaller games to really make it. Um, And they also post published a few board games, the um, Star Trek deck building game, the Resident Evil deck building game, which honestly are like not incredible games like mechanically tight or anything, but very fun um, deck building games for people to play that those are like board game style, not like a trading card game. Um, But seeing the success of Naruto, the team attempted to spin off another game and they uh, they they did the Dragon Ball card game which was basically the exact same mechanics from Naruto. In fact, even promising you can play them against each other. um, Eventually, which they did eventually release a rule set for to be able to play Naruto versus Dragon Ball card game. I never did that, but you could have, but they were mechanically very similar. The only addition uh, or the, the only real meaningful change other than like terminology changes and stuff um, being that, you in dragon ball you got uh a number of these dragon ball counters that would trade back and forth as you connected damage to your opponent or something and if you ever got seven um you could you you could make a wish and you had a little wish deck that had different wishes you would bring to the game um which is actually kind of a, a neat way of doing it and those wishes yeah. would be a like there'd be a wish that to become like the strongest you know fighter or whatever and you'd like put a bunch of like power up counters on your on one of your guys like so like suddenly they're like impossible to beat in combat and stuff um or uh, or you know all sorts of like reviving someone from a discard pile or you know they they do like imagine what a wish does and it would kind of do that thing in yeah. game um so that game uh did not last very long at all though it lasted i think 5 sets total with the um i think infamously there was a like A either like a nationals or world championship event held at uh, a con. It might have been Gen Con or Origins or something um, one of those years. And uh, I believe the attendance for it was four. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it, it, they had, they had a few issues, delays in getting product out. Um, There, I'm trying to remember too, there might have been like a translation thing. I know there was the, the team that, was in charge of it was North American based, but the, they might've had like a design team for Naruto and Dragon Ball Super that was in Japan. And there was like a sort of a, just a, you know, at Bandai, like more like under Bandai. And then there was like a, some issues in like getting things translated that caused some like delays in releasing sets. And, and um, it, you know, it, there's a multiple reasons why it didn't last very long, but I think one of the biggest ones is just that at the time I, again, I don't think there was any real um, cash flow being put into yeah. this group. And, um, a knockoff of Naruto with slightly altered mechanics that isn't being marketed by a team that's kind of using a shotgun approach of just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. It it was also doomed to failure, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, that must not have been marketed that much because I didn't even know. I Like, I knew about the the Naruto card game. I knew that. I never heard of that one.
0: So I, I ran events locally, and because of that also, that's how I learned about Battle Spirits because that team then oh. sent out um the the north american version of battle spirits when it oh, when it wow. came out and uh i got our first product from that and i i got my sweet uh here it is you know my my battle spirits play mat i still hold on to oh, nice. um, that i'm going to be playing with next year very soon i'm yeah, very excited yeah i can't
1: wait for that i can't wait for all the revivals but no, yeah like, i did not know about that one so next is panini right that's yes panini now now
0: now you can talk about panini go for now it.
1: when panini comes in so that's 2014 panini. 2014 panini came in and um i know when panini originally came out with the first set the original huge intention i remember this was it was supposed to play with the like well and and it still can but they were making it as it interlocked with the scorecards like it was almost they were literally it was like you know you could play these with the scorecards that was the big thing um And the Panini game was really similar to the score game. I mean, there were a few change. They, they got rid of the whole, uh, like ignore GT. Like they got rid of a lot of the GT, um, rulings. Like look at your top six and no, it went back to drawing three, but it was literally, it was like a revival that you could play with the original scorecards when it first came out.
0: So, yeah, let me, let me comment a little bit on this here. Um, so the Panini version was designed and developed by a team led by Ake Tonk. There we talked about earlier, the world champion, uh, early as well as uh, Richie Williams. Um, and interestingly, it it didn't actually. The um, I should say uh, Ake and I can't remember. Maybe to some degree, Richie also did play um, a role in development of late Z and GT. Um, they were they were certainly part of the team at that point at least Ake was I think Richie was too, but I can't remember for sure off the top of my head um, But the uh, the two folks who were really the the heads of things back then um, who were uh, David Eckerd and uh, Israel Caroz I think I'm saying that right IQ. They were known as chippy and IQ were the two um, yeah. Who were charged charge of things that they actually were not involved in the re-release here and what panini i think was really trying to do when they did this was was one sort of like stand on the shoulders what was learned from the tweaks made in gt a little bit um to try and like again answer some of those issues that people had with the z card games the the leveling up um issue the uh and and some of like the randomness and and some of the things that were addressed in later sets like having masteries and endurance from the start and everything like that um and, uh, but at the same time, they were also trying to like forge some goodwill with the players, because obviously one of the things I was, mentioned that killed GT and Rezy was this just that like things not being compatible was a problem or like being like a side note or something. Um, and, and as you're saying, the compatibility of Panini was ended up being quite the side note also
1: yeah, it eventually <laughs> um, came a side note,
0: yeah. even more so than GT had, had made it, um, Quite a bit more so, I'd say actually. Um, oh,
1: 100%. It was just the It was really, I just noticed it was when the first set came out. When the first set came out, I remember the huge selling point, which is honestly why I instantly picked up Panini cards, um was they were saying, hey, this links with the old scorecard game. I mean, I was even getting out my old scorecards like, oh, wow, this links with the game. But eventually, Panini card they, they became their own like it really I mean even a lot of the reprints from the previous sets were actually reworded um just cleaned up a lot of the language even some like a lot of there were some rule changes in the Panini game. Panini became its own. Like it, it, it's a, like they took it and and kind of turned it into its own game. And uh yeah it, it was kind of an afterthought with the playing with the scorecards.
0: Yeah. In the first set I think the first set of Panini was um I know they did a de- they did development of it in in basically pods they had a certain person in charge of each style and it seemed like what their uh their goal really was to do was to like take a greatest hits of score cards and reprint them so you had things like yeah. saying acute rapid slam like basically directly reprinted red axe heel kick was now red heel kick um but like you had a bunch of cards that were just like well known cards from from uh, Z or a bunch of orange drills just like got reprinted yep. directly um, at trunks. Guardian drill became orange guardian drill. It does the same thing though. You know, all this yep. kind of stuff. You, you just got all these cards that got reprinted and then, you know, smattering of like new cards being added to new ideas and things to kind of like, make sure the styles played distinctly in the way they're looking to, but even to the point where like the Saiyan mastery was the reprint of the Buu Saga Saiyan mastery Um in, uh, in I think it was Buu Saga, but I believe, yeah, I believe that's right yeah. in, uh, in, in Panini. Um So like the, you know, they just knew this is how we want this style to play the set. Then they had each person just kind of like make out a set list and then, and then play tested them. And so it's very clear, very clear that they were right away really focused on like, how can we, um make this appeal to people like they it want they wanted it to feel familiar but fresh um, and i think part of that too was saying like you know like if we're basically just making a bunch of these cards again there's no reason these two games aren't compatible really it's yeah. just like some minor rule tweaks like which rule set are we using for like um leveling up and and anger and everything and like you know they they, they also clean some things up like you always had to play level one through four of your yep. main personality there's no level fives anymore Um, and you don't have the choice of only playing a level three, but we're going to print a level one through four for everyone. They made allies, their own card type instead of just being personalities that you put in your deck and then cleaned up like the confusion of the ally rules. Um, like you had to be a certain level to play a, a matching level of that ally or like whatever and you could only include an ally that was two levels lower than your max level like they had a bunch of like yeah there was a yeah. lot of
1: the big one that i remember was they changed where now you could only use named cards uh mm-hmm. if it matched your uh personality
0: yes which, so like which, in,
1: which... In score yeah you could run like gohan cards, even though you were a goku personality but you could
0: run four gohan cards if your main personality was gohan instead of three which is like so so and they did that you know to again add add like you know variety to how every deck plays so if you want to play gohan red it feels very differently than playing playing vegeta red because you have access to some particular cards that vegeta doesn't have access to and, um, and their and powers,
1: the, the actual powers of the card.
0: Like, yeah, yeah. In powers, addition to yeah. that, in addition, it just adds, <clears throat> adds another layer, though, of like of of your decision making and building. Um, but yeah, they they definitely gave up. Um, they definitely gave up on, on trying to make things compatible and, and by set two, everything was being, there were very, very few reprints in set two that were old cards. And then by the end of the game, I I don't know. I don't think they were reprinting cards at all anymore. No,
1: they were going their own direction. And yeah, that, I mean, tons of great memories with the Penny. I mean, that's when, yeah, we started playing, you know, we met up in Fargo and that's when I started playing there. And, um, you know, so many great tournaments, so many great memories, um. Yeah. Obviously, I'll get into it real quick. The Kansas City Regional got the top eight or top mm. sixteen, but made the mistake. Should have like, had the top eight.
0: The yeah. worst, worst, most painful game I've ever had the the displeasure of judging and watching. Yep. <laughs> was you completely, completely tanking your ability to win that game by just just not entering combat?
1: <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. It, it was. It was a game. Uh, some mistakes. I will say <clears throat> I still remember that weekend cuz that is the weekend I asked my wife to marry me. So I was kind of distracted a little bit. That's fair. But yep. That's fair. Um but yeah. Uh just so many good memories. I, I in that game I played blue roshi towards the end. Um I know uh previous podcast Mitch talked about he played uh, red roshi. I played blue roshi which was um <clears throat> it was all about getting the dragon balls out and it did it in a weird way. Like I used really my ally didn't. Kami And Kami had an ability that every time Kami was removed from play, either removed from game or just whatever, you could search her deck for a Dragon Ball and play it. So I had all these different ways of removing and bringing Kami back out. And then Roshi had a really cool ability that anytime you physically, like, shuffle your deck, you get to, you know, revive one. Well, if every time I'm searching for a Dragon Ball or searching for Kami, I would literally just be like, <clears throat> "Okay, yep, shuffle my deck, revive one, shuffle my deck, revive one," and it was really, really cool. Like, and uh, I had some weird games. Just um, I remember, like in that regional too, like calling you over for like judge rollings, and you're just like, "What in blazes are you doing?" Like, just
0: your deck yeah. list used cards that were not played very commonly. So there were, there were things i had to figure out sometimes
1: (laughs) (laughs) you're like what wait what what are you but it was
0: it was a it was actually i really liked that deck because it was a testament to the you know the actual depth of the game panini dragon ball z was a um had a very good design to it and and had a lot of very interesting combos that people were not i don't think i still don't think people really figured everything out um that you could do in that game and in the meta, I think the meta got like sort of solved pretty quickly. There were some problematic cards like Unleashed and everything that were certainly like changing um, changing what people were focusing on, really, but I think there were a number of. I, I also like to play like really goofy decks. Um, I had a blue Android Seventeen physical beats deck that like would really catch people off guard um, with the with what it could do. There's, I think there were a lot of really solid tier tier two to like possibly low tier one if you get if you you have a, you're on a good streak or with the right the right metagame or something. Um, decks that that people just didn't really quite figure out yet yeah
1: yeah and and the nice thing is is now that even though that game is quote unquote you know it's they're not making official sets anymore um, you still have dedicated fans that are still mm-hmm. making cards for the game yeah which is really really you know uh, fan Z I believe is what it's called if I remember yes. correctly. yeah and mm-hmm. um, I, I've checked that out uh, quite a few times. And uh, I know I played in some tournaments at Gen Con and checked out some of the new cards. So that game's actually, I think they're still making, they're still making cards for Fan Z, are they not?
0: Yes. Yep. Yep. They're actually doing some Dragon Ball Super related sets right now. Yep. Um, The game, the game has, unfortunately, you know, there's not a, it's not a crazy amount of players still playing, but they have some dedicated online communities on Facebook where you can get in uh, and discords where you can get into regular tournaments and everything. Um, and, run by uh joey de carlo who is was one of the um one of the developers in the game uh with the team back then and uh and a group of of fans who have sort of stepped up to try and create um continue to create cards as well as um making physical versions of them through a uh a, a proxy group that that goes through like a chinese manufacturer to, to yeah get them, i actually
1: so. got some of those cards yeah
0: yeah Yeah, they're they're it's pretty cool um and actually here at main deck we we maintain the we still maintain the crd um we have a i have a document that i i painstakingly put together that combines the original or the sorry the final panini crd with um everything that's been done in fancy since then and that's located on our website as well
1: so just another way to play dragon ball that's the way i look at it just really fun and exciting way to play dragon ball
0: so what's the what's the most popular way to play dragon ball right now Mike.
1: Uh, i'm gonna definitely say the new card game which is uh dragon ball super by bandai and the the point of this podcast we can kind of get into the uh the uh the main the main discussion for dragon well let's
0: ball super. let's let's lead up to that just by mentioning that then dragon ball super released in what was it 2017 maybe 20 something like that uh, yeah they just
1: had their five-year anniversary so 2017 i yep. believe
0: 2017 is is when Dragon Ball Super card game released. There was quite a bit of controversy, um, with uh, with Panini, um, with the Panini fans. Um, but the I think I think ultimately when the dust settled, the the general consensus is that um, Panini tried was was trying very hard to hold on to the license, but was effectively just kind of like strong armed out of being able to publish Dragon Ball products anymore um and so was uh did what they could but was forced to end the game um as as bandai who is a much closer partner with um the animation studio that handles the dragon ball license um was just the you know given the the favor or or whatever or or had more money or something to to be able to hold on to the license instead so um they then released their dragon ball super card game i had a lot of trepidation going into it because my experience with bandai as we mentioned earlier was not very good with their card games yeah. it was a it was uh sort of weak then but um, bandai has proven themselves since then to be very serious about the trading card game market very serious about yeah. it um now publishing uh they have their fourth well sorry they 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 had just announced their fourth individual tcg and just now announced their fifth one coming to japan and and i don't think we have a confirmation about a western release of union arena yet but yeah um there are you know speculations of course that it will come but we'll we'll have to see um but yeah they and and uh announcing things will i'm sure talk about such as dragon ball getting a digital client and everything so um Mm -hmm yeah bandai is very committed now and they they had a very successful launch um uh, eclipsed the number of players playing the old games very quickly um due to a very excellent marketing campaign and and getting the word out about dragon ball super and um we are now we've really set what 19? 20.
1: 19 20 i mean they got so many like it depends on how you keep count because they've got so many like subsets but they're essentially new cards i mean it's you know, yeah. How many sets are released? It's over 20. If you
0: include. Yeah. Those. 19 is the last one released and set 20 is coming out soon. If we're talking about individual booster sets, but then yes, as you said, there's like theme booster sets that have yep. come out, um, as well as some other like specialist products. So, um, so mike i agree let's let's jump to the main topic now that was a very fun and interesting thank you for thank you for leading the way on that a history of dragon ball in card games and i hope some people kind of learned a few things about that um if you hadn't heard this before but what we came to talk about today was the dragon ball super card game in 2022 so we want to talk about how 2022 uh how it was how it treated the dragon ball super card game product releases events noteworthy happenings Uh, Ups and downs, props and slops. We're going to talk about it (laughs) as a whole. Um, And Mike, um, I'm good. I'm just going to start by laying the stage a little bit. Um, So just to be, just so we have sort of our timeline clear as far as releases in 2022. This covers the Mythic Booster, Mythic Booster One that released, um, Realm of the Gods, Ultimate Squad, Dawn of the Z Legends, and Fighter's Ambition are the the sets that released. So up to B, uh, not BT anymore, B19. Um, and, uh, and then in between that, you know, a number of events, we had the Dragon Ball Super Fest that happened early in the year, um, championship events, nationals had just happened actually just a little bit ago, um, and all sorts of, you know, smaller events and pre-releases and everything in between. So Mike, why don't you lead the way? Tell us how was 2022 for the Dragon Ball Super Card game?
1: I think... The 2022 was really, I mean, towards the beginning, there were a few um, hiccups that I know like uh, Bandai tried, um, including kind of a new format for uh, Dragon Fest, uh, which we'll kind of get into. That was the beginning.
0: I like, actually think it started out very poorly. Yeah, <laughs> it my, started out poorly, yeah. That's my take on that's my take on this is that like the start of the year for Dragon Ball Super, it things didn't look very good, honestly. No. They were they were they were kind of looking a little a little sketchy right away. Um I remember seeing the complaints about Dragon Ball Fest um and and attempting because the big thing was um the th- one thing that players were were dealing with was the threat of rotation being a real thing. Yeah. And a lot They're, of players did right. not like that.
1: Well, it was kind of the way they went about it, because I understand from a standpoint from, you know, they want to get new players into the card game. You know, Bandai wants to get in new players into the card game. So essentially, they kind of created this new format where it was like, okay, hey, you could only use like the Union, um, the Union card sets like you could only use those. Um, Unison Warrior series. Yeah, the Unison Warrior series cards. And the issue with that was Dragon Fest isn't necessarily a competitive event. I don't think Bandai ever intended it to be a competitive event, but the players made it more of a competitive event. And when Bandai tried to do this with the, you know, hey, we're going to introduce this new format and we're going to have it at this Dragon Fest it upset a lot of people because it was like, well, hey, you know, you know, I've got all these cards, I've got this deck made. A lot of people were afraid that this was going to become like the new competitive format, like just having unison force. We and, we
0: did a podcast at the time talking about that. Actually, that was one of our one of our first return podcasts um, yeah. when we when we brought the podcast back this year. Um, and and yeah, that that was the issue was that this was sort of like the first event that had happened since uh, COVID had sort of destroyed every every chance Everything. of having in-person events
1: yeah
0: um and it was i agree like i think there i think this was a, a, yeah. a more of a, like a marketing or a messaging fail than anything um which is that uh or but i also think to some degree was not understanding what their audience was after after all this time too um yeah. because really like even from the name you know that they, they did one for digimon as well they did a fest event and, and the idea was just to celebrate being able to play the game again effectively. Yeah. Um, but it turns out they underestimated, I think how competitive people wanted this to be. And, and they expected it would just be kind of a fun event. And, and I, I see, you know, I can sort of see where they're coming from too, because it makes sense to um it makes sense to me a lot of sense to me actually to if, if you have you've taken sort of a year year and a half hiatus from being able to like really push the game and have competitive events you've released they released sets during that time like there are sets that people had cards from um that they haven't really gotten to play and if you want to make sure people get to enjoy playing with the cards that they paid money for uh, over that period of time you can you can do that by limiting the format to mostly newer cards um, which makes sure that people go oh you know what then since i can't use all these old staple cards i don't have sensu bean i don't have you know whatever uh uh whatever cards are people are playing this i can't remember now um instead then i have to use these newer ones and that like sort of adds some value to to the cards that they purchase, where they go, oh wow! Like I actually get to use some of these cards that I think were just like not as good as other options that are in the full game, and I think that was supposed to be an exciting thing for players, but instead, players just kind of got afraid that that meant, well, after the break, now we're restarting the game and it's going to be rotation. Isn't yeah, it? and a lot,
1: yeah, a lot of people were against that, and I mean, the one thing that I will say that Bandai did, I mean, uh, you know. Is lo- they they listen to the players' feedback and there were changes that were made. I mean, a vest mm-hmm. actually did eventually get changed. So to make it clear, because I know some of you are like, well, it didn't play that old. Yeah, Bandai eventually changed it. It went, you know, it, it, they did play where it was the full event, where they did play with all all the cards. That was changed over. But the big focus was, you know, they were trying, we were trying to expand the community. We were trying to get in new players, which comes into, you know, you were talking about the Mythic boosters, you know, mm-hmm. where they did a lot of the reprints from older cards from the new set. That technically, I mean, we can discuss this, but that one, I think, is a fail too. I mean, at yeah. Least the way they, yeah. I mean, the, the,
0: there were, I think there were a number of issues too with, with the Myth, Mythic booster. I, I'm, I'm, it, I'm trying to stretch back and remember my memory now, but didn't it have sort of a, an awkward release as well? Like, didn't they, they had like a weird pack you could buy before the set came out?
1: Yeah, it was that like, I, I'm not so much the details on that one. It was a number one. They actually cost more. Like you had to pay more for the mystic boosters. Like they, like sure. a lot of, I think the retail is actually a dollar more. And I just, I mean, what they should have done in retrospect, in my opinion, what they should have done is mixed the reprints in other sets and just slowly kind of trickled some of those reprints in other sets. But a lot of people, it just wasn't worth, you know, the extra mm-hmm. money just to get these, you know, extra cards. And, yeah, I mean, the whole like to me, I think the whole point was they were trying to get new players into the game. It's like, okay, hey, here are the new players. You can get a lot of these cards from this set you know, to get the staples that you need for your deck, because, you know, a lot of the older, older cards and it just, it, you know, they redid the artwork, which, you know, that was, at least they did that. They redid some of the artwork on some of the cards. So then at least players wanted to purchase it, but it just, there wasn't enough there. And I'll be honest, when I go into most, you know, of the stores, um, that like if they have Dragon Ball stuff, they have the Mythic Boosters. Like that is just still sitting around, sitting yeah. around on shelves. It's the Mythic Boosters.
0: I, I did a little looking, and and I remember what I'm thinking of now. The Gift Collection released in December of last year, which was a $25 pack that contained sleeves and a deck case, which I think like whatever, like uh, the people don't need that, um, and four Mythic Boosters. Um yeah. and I I think that was one one kind of weird issue with that was that released a month before the mythic booster came out in 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 packs that you could buy so by the time the mythic booster released people had already acquired you know either acquired the cards they needed from mythic booster that they if they like there were reprints they were looking for or something or they had you know just sort of realized like well i don't need to pay this much for these products because i saw what people opened when they got these and it's like i it just doesn't it's doesn't matter to me (laughs) yeah right Um, and that was kind of that's kind of shooting your own product in the foot a little bit um when uh when you do it that way and the and the the product doesn't quite like live up to what people are looking for no
1: but once again bandai because every time they release a set and this is what i really like about bandai because they do listen to their players every time they release a set or every time they release like there's actually a survey Mm-hmm. um that they asked the players to take which uh the dragon ball super community um uh, the facebook group they do a really good job encouraging people to do that
0: so they do giveaways and, with them on the Facebook. they do group. yeah
1: they even do yeah. giveaways with them too and bandai listens and it was kind of like okay mm, that didn't work out too well um so they did make changes um so a lot of the reprints now you'll start seeing like are in starter decks and stuff so um yeah, Bandai really made some big changes after those kind of quote two on two uh flops. Um and they um the format and this was before the first uh before the um the Z battle card like the Z leaders and and yeah, the Z battle card like before any of that the format was actually pretty darn balanced i mean they did some really good bands they did some really good restrictions and i know a lot of players were really liking before um the yeah that first z leader battle set i think the um i think that came out like in 20 it was before i went to kansas city so you're,
0: you're talking I, about uh, bt b17 ultimate squad
1: uh no i don't think that i think the one after that was the z the z battle cards
0: right oh sorry i misunderstood what you're saying so realm of the gods realm of the gods
1: yeah yeah so um yeah i think that's right um but anywho um yeah they um it was really balanced like a lot of play i know including myself i really liked the direction they were going there was a lot of uh um, just a lot of variety and tournaments. I mean, everything was like really super balanced and uh, they did really good bands and just tournaments were going really well. Um, the other thing that was kind of introduced in there um, was uh, like, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. We kind of went over it briefly in the Digimon podcast because it's also a Bandai thing, is mm-hmm. the Bandai uh,
0: app, the TCG Plus app. I, I think this Realm of the Gods period Is where one of their best additions to the game happened, and one of their yeah one of their current worst additions to the game, which is their app. Yeah,
1: I was gonna say I was gonna get into. I figured we were doing the negatives. I was gonna go into the negative.
0: We can go back and forth.
1: We can go back and forth. Okay, so let's 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 do a huge positive. Um, I think the introduction of the God Rare was humongous, humongous. Oh, jeez, did that. I can tell you right now the God rare, um, why I think it was a huge positive for the game was, I mean, collectors. The thing is, is people were buying boxes and cases left and right for that God rare. And even now that God rare goes for an astronomical amount of money. And when you do that, you know, a lot of players are like, oh, man, well, I can't necessarily find product at my store if they're doing that. The thing is, is that makes the secondary market, if you are looking for cards for that set, like your SRs and your rares and your other foils that aren't that god rare, um, they are a lot easier to get. And wow, like that guy, like I couldn't even, I even are, even my locals, um, like they had two cases. And I was thinking, oh, psh, no problem. I can get what I need. No worries. The introduction of that God Ray, I couldn't get nothing. It was yep. literally the day after. I was like, I didn't nope, gone. Um, huge boon for the game. And the thing is, is Bandai, they don't even do it every set. Like, they don't even they introduce don't. God Rayers every set. They're, which which
0: back. is one of the things, actually, like, in, uh, I, think, I think if you had asked me at the time, I would say, I think it's good, but we have to wait and see. Um, because... One thing we can actually look at a game like Magic the Gathering to see an example of where this becomes a problem, but um, one thing that you can do to screw this up is to oversaturate the market with them. Yeah. Um, Magic the Gathering did it when they they started releasing chase cards uh, called their masterpiece series back in the Zendikar. Um, Battle for Zendikar expansion when they they release um, or no they they uh, Kaladesh is Kaladesh was where they started Kaladesh one of the two I don't remember the the problem was they you know these were very rare cards that were reprints with very cool foiling basically the same idea as God rares less rare than them because um, Magic doesn't typically use uh, quite those rarities it was about one per case in Magic oh, wow. the Gathering okay okay um, but but for Magic the Gathering that was a high rarity um, and. Uh, cases in magic are six boxes. Also, there's another key point to, to know different, a little different also, um, but 36 pack boxes. So anyway, uh, the problem was they, they released those. They were a, a big hit. People loved them. They, the value was great on them. Um, they, they were fun to open. They made those sets sell very well. They've given those sets better secondary market value, even today, of course. Um, but then they released them in the next set and then they released them in the next set. And then they released them in the next set. And then by the time they got to Amonkhet and they released those, they had to say, Okay, we get it. Sorry, we're making too many of these. Yeah. <laughs> because people were getting worn out um and the the luster was was running out and it just wasn't as exciting. When something is done every single set like that, the chase starts stops becoming as exciting and the rarity of any individual god rare starts being a little less cool cuz more and more people are picking up a god rare here, a god rare there, whatever. Um and it and it simply just starts to wear on the players and because the the it's just not as rare anymore it's not as cool of a thing to see um and that affects the value of the cards and affects players interest in them
1: yeah and to Um, put it in perspective and it is kind of debatable it's it's really hard to say the rarity of the god i can tell you that
0: they're very rare
1: yeah it's very like a case in dragon ball super is 12 boxes and 24 packs per box okay um, you are not guaranteed a God rare per case. No. So you can buy a case, not get a God rare. And because there's no unit, official unit measurement above a case, it's it's debatable. Most people say it's one to two, one to three for you to actually get a God rare. It's so like one out of 24 to one out of 36 boxes for you to actually get a God rare. It is, it is a, you know, I mean... God, the value of a God rare, you pull one is huge. Like it is yes. huge. most people they're getting these things graded. Um and collectors absolutely um eat it up. And the first god rare you,
0: you would think would be Goku. You would no. think it would be Goku. It was yeah. not.
1: It was not, it was Vegeta.
0: Goku it does was, not have a God rare yet.
1: Goku does not have a god rare yet. Not
0: which is yet. which not is pretty yet. Cool. not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. He will.
1: Twenty twenty three, I guarantee you. Not yet, but yeah, um, wildly successful. And again, there's a lot of people, you know, that don't necessarily like collectors. There's a lot of people that say collectors ruin the card game because they increase the value of cards and etc. The thing is, is that they, in my, I mean, again, and this could be debated in my, they, they bring interest into the game and yeah. Um, and I've actually gotten a few collectors who just, normally collected because they like the artwork on the dragon ball cards because let's face it bandai because they have that license the artwork is so much better on the uh, bandai cards than it came to the panini cards so there's a lot more of that collectability i've gotten them to actually start playing the card game and and actually start playing with the cards that they have it's like hey if you're going to buy cases to get this god where you have all these cards you might as well play with
0: them so the the collector thing i i'm I'm gonna take a hard stance on it i mean it depends it does depend on how the company handles um making cards for collectors but collectors are typically interested in collecting the more rare versions of cards so as long as parallel versions of cards are printed that are at lower rarities um than the ones that collectors are going to seek uh so that is to say like if the god rare was a unique card with a unique effect it would have been a bad thing for the game um, yeah, it, and to make it was that good clear, at all
1: yeah i don't think we've mentioned that to make that clear this god rare is a reprint of a uh secret secret rare. Rare. yep correct so, so i mean yeah to make it clear like yeah this god rare is it's predominantly for people collecting and i will say dragon ball super does a great job of that because there is a lot of, they call them SPRs.
0: Yep, exactly.
1: Yep, where they're reprints of like just normal super rares, but got like better artwork, more collectible artwork. So they're really, they're making, when they're making these cards, they're making like, okay, here's a normal one that you could use for your deck, or here's one for collectors that want to collect and got a binder of all the really cool artworks and stuff like that. They do a really, really good job of that. And that- um,
0: yeah, yeah. The whole value thing, like like players being concerned that collectors are like making their cards you know, priced out of their range or whatever, is a little is is it's a tricky tightrope to walk because um some people some people that you talk to about this do seem to want it both ways, in that they want um their cards to be accessible to buy when they don't have them, but they also want to have their cards be valuable when they open a box so that they feel like they get their money's worth out of it. Yeah. And and if, you know, if that's the stance, it's a it's very difficult to really argue that point because it's kind of a it's kind of a mixed message point that doesn't it it doesn't uh it's not an argument that I think holds a whole bunch of water really. But yeah. the 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 fact is that when you have collectors interested in your game, and, and out of all of Bandai's games, Dragon Ball Super has easily we talked about this in the Digimon, they've easily planted themselves as being the game where uh collectors are a bigger ratio than other the other games that um yeah have. it's not not to say yeah. anything about like the playability or anything but just due to the licensing i think mostly the collectors just there is a bigger ratio of collectors in the game than there are in in uh, in like digimon for example um, and and i think bandai was very smart to sit down and realize okay well like if these collectors are driving prices of of cards more than we expect let's go ahead and like make sure we're baking in products baking in items that the the collectors want to chase because that will that will help our our products off the shelf and it yeah like it actually the interesting thing is when you put certain chase cards in of course there's a whole ecosystem that's very hard to manage here when you're when you're building a TCG but when you put certain chase cards in like this it actually does make some cards uh, lower in price than they would have been. It makes them more accessible yep. because people are opening boxes, not because they want to get sets of SRs. They're opening them because they want to get a God rare and then everything yep. else doesn't matter. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And, and and then they go on TCG player or whatever. And they, and they, and they, or they, they dump their stuff off at a shop that goes on TCG player. And eventually those, those prices, those, those cards get into the supply of the market. And then, um, they become a little more accessible to people too. Again, again, there's a huge tightrope here, right? It really, really depends on a whole bunch of factors that is definitely beyond the scope of really getting into in this podcast, and and honestly, a very difficult thing for anyone, including established TCG companies, to manage perfectly. Um, but the the fact is that there there um, you do need both collectors to sort of prop up the value of of higher rarity cards to create an interest in those so that there are more buyers for them. Um, and also to create an interest in buying product, which then has an impact on the price of non chase cards as well um, as yep. the chase cards. So,
1: so <clears throat> the other thing that I kind of wanted to mention before, cause um, we'll kind of get into the player stuff. Cause I know there's pay- uh, people listening to this. It's like, no, I'm not much of a collector. I'm more of a player, but the other collectible thing that I think they did a really, really good job on that was released this year. And I got one. Oh, I'm so happy oh. I got one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the fifth anniversary um, Dragon Ball Super um, card game. They, they created a fifth anniversary card, it, uh, .999 fine silver. Correct me, I think Yu-Gi-Oh! did something similar. I think Yu-Gi-Oh! did something before where they created like a silver card.
0: I haven't I seen that. Be... Um, that could be. I, I'm not familiar. Yeah, I, I'm not
1: sure. But they created a .999 fine silver card, and it was a reprint. Well, I don't even want to say reprint because you can't use this card. This is a, just collector card only. But right. they took an SCR from one of the uh, notorious scenes from Dragon Ball Super.
0: The Goku and Frieza. Um,
1: yeah. Um, I'm not going to get into the details on why that is awesome. Uh, if you've not seen the series, go watch it. I mean,
0: I, I mean, like, look, it's <laughs> spoiler alert for Dragon Ball Super thing that released like three or four years ago. Or yeah, something, yeah.
1: Like, no, three or four years ago, yeah. But anywho... It is an iconic scene from the series, and they literally put it on a .999 fine silver card. Um, just beautiful artwork, everything else, and the card. I know a lot of you are like, "Well, how much did the card sell for?" And uh, the card sold for like they released 555, and it was eleven hundred dollars.
0: That well, this is sold know. through Bandai's premium website, Bandai's uh, premium site, and which... the
1: card was made for collectors. This card, I mean, it's not to be clear you, you cannot buy this card and play it in the card game. This card was made for collectors. Bandai realized the market, they knew people were going to want to collect this card, me included. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean. Um, I thought that was a huge win for the community. The one thing that I will say I wish they would have done is that was just released within the U.S. Um, I want to see premium Bandai definitely open up more worldwide. Um, uh, They're releasing, yeah, they released 555, which um, sold out. Like they were sending out, like people requested to do it, sold out, like all 555. Um, I my understanding is they are going to be releasing more, like a few more to like events worldwide, but I really wish it was a win for collectors, but I feel people who are not within the states, you know, that are in Australia, who are in, you know, England and South America, but you know, because they also do play the Dragon Ball Supercard game. They I wish they would have been included in
0: that. Yeah, there's the a there's order. a there's like a a very large segment of, and I think it's, I've actually looked into this too. It's very interesting that um, the Central American and South American communities have a a huge thing for some reason, a a lot of fans of Dragon Ball, the Dragon Ball franchise in that area. It's hard to, it's hard. I think it's hard. It's kind of complicated to understand exactly why that is, but like the, the sort of that, that community just really likes Dragon Ball. So um, it, it really sucks to have that be, uh, be limited to North America. But I also want to mention that there, there was a little bit of a controversy, um, happening around the release of that too, which is that they, players got to sign up or, or people, I should just say, um, got to sign up for, uh, slots, uh, lottery, yep. lottery to be able to buy it. And there were definitely a lot of people who signed up without the intention of buying it and, and were attempting to like, they're trying to sell their slots. Yeah. Um, which which I think was against the terms yeah. of service on there and everything. So there, there was a little bit of a, a, I remember a bit of a controversy when those started going out and people started trying to sell those.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, how do you like the hard part is, is how do you solve that? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if there's a solution. That, that, that's a really hard one, but oh yeah, people were selling theres I've seen, uh, there were people selling their slides for two, three, 400 bucks, literally like here's the email. Yeah. And what that kind of does, it it, it did kind of create that quote unquote false demand because you didn't know who was signing up for it just to like just sell their slot and then who was signing up for it to, you know, actually purchase the product.
0: But in my opinion, despite that, like con being attached to doing this, this method of selling it, it's this is a better way of doing it than just making it a free for all because free for alls just end up uh, being like bots and scalpers purchasing things whereas at least in this case there are definitely a whole bunch there's there are some people who bought to sell slots and whatever like that's part of it but there's a whole bunch of actual fans and collectors who got emails and were excited to be able to purchase the the item
1: absolutely absolutely and it did limit your, like you said, it, you're right. I mean, look at the PlayStation five, like, and yeah, what, yeah. They, what they had to do, like some of the changes, a lot of these stores did where they had to do it, where you had to do physical pickup, just cause so many people, like they were just setting up bots just to buy them up and then turn around and flip them. And you know, I mean, you almost guaranteed if they would have done it that way where it was a free for all, that's exactly what would have happened. It would have sold out in like two minutes if that, it would have been a bunch of bots purchasing them and then if you would try to turn around and if you wanted one you'd be on the resale market it'd be for an astronomical amount of money so right i feel like i mean yeah was it wasn't a perfect system no but definitely better than what it could have been
0: yeah i agree
1: so, yeah that was a win um the next thing i kind of wanted to get into was the big win when um the z decks came out the new quote-unquote mechanic and
0: um well bandai. actually i'm gonna i'm gonna slow you down there let's let's talk cool. about mechanics in just a second i want to step back and talk about just around this uh, this time we had the release of of bandai tcg plus app
1: oh I, that's right you want to get in oh
0: yeah yeah bandai yeah we'll t- talk about that mike uh, we did talk about this a little bit the digimon yeah. um, podcast so we don't really we really don't need to belabor the point too much but mike how how is the bandai tcg plus app
1: I'm trying to come up with something that's like a word appropriate for this podcast. That's (laughs) let's just say that it was bad. It was bad. And I don't, you know, I'm one of those positive people. I want to make that very clear. Our our audience
0: knows at this point, I'm sure that you, uh, you have a very positive take on it. I
1: have a very positive outlook on things. And the one thing, you know, I will tell you about the band ITC, it, it, it has a lot of potential. And I know what that app was trying to go for. Okay. But, talking to somebody like i've i've used like um, um ppg has an excellent app when it comes to online tournaments or physical tournaments where you can sign up um i work for amazon and i've done quite a few like the amazon apps like we work on the ease of use this thing was atrocious yeah all i got it was bad it was horrible this I mean,
0: in my opinion the the biggest um, the biggest slop of 2022 for Bandai is the TCG app again, like not the intention of it. The intention is great, but the execution of it is, it leaves quite a bit to be desired. And and we can just hope that they're, um, we can hope they're continuing to work on that. And we can also hope that it's a different team that is doing the digital app for yeah. them.
1: Yeah, there was so many errors. I mean, just just to put it in perspective for those that are listening to this who don't use the app, I mean, it was literally – when it came to signing up and searching for tournaments, you couldn't find tournaments, and you you would try to enter the tournament, and errors would come up, but the errors would come up in a different language, so you didn't understand what you were doing wrong. You just seen a red banner across the bar, oh, and then, that's right. I know you yeah, it's and then and then even from a tournament organizer perspective. So let's say I've got everyone that's signed up. And when it comes to doing rounds, there were errors that were even happening in that as a matter of fact at Gencon, poor judging staff I, um so it didn't happen with the physical tournament but it happened with the online tournament that they were doing for gen con where they were using the that, that app, the Bandai <laughs> the, the, the Bandai plus app and I think it was round two. Uh, for those who played in the tournament, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's round two. Round two or three, literally the app just poof, delete, like all players deleted, all round, everything. They had to reuse a different app. And I think the tournament got delayed four to five hours between rounds. It was literally four to five hours in between rounds while they had to add everyone to a new app and get the rounds up and everything else. Um because of how the app was functioning. Now, I have, I'm hoping, you know, again, the app has a lot of potential because it integrates card search and deck profile and all that good stuff. It just needs to be polished and it needs somebody going in there based upon region, because again, these error codes coming up in different languages, I, that's just unexcusable. From, from an app perspective, from someone, that's unexcusable, that's gotta be fixed.
0: Yeah, I I agree. That is that is, in my opinion, the biggest slop of the year. Just that 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 was a very sloppy product that um doesn't do what it needs to do. And you know we can hope that that Bandai will look at it and and get it addressed. But it, interestingly, they have a history of their apps never being the most friendly to use. So yeah,
1: call call uh, call Pro Play Games PPG. Maybe maybe call Amazon Web Services. You know, hey, we, you know, we'll hook you up. Whatever. Like, I just, it's got to be fixed. Yeah. But I do want to talk about the positive. Like, I do want to talk about a positive thing with the. Uh, like, I don't know. Are you ready to get into the?
0: Uh... Well, let's let's talk about mechanics um, yeah. because I think that's where you're going for. I, yeah. I just want to start. Let's. Um, I, I know you're very excited about ZDex, which I think are are the biggest addition to the game since then. Oh, real quick, do we have 100%. anything? tend to talk about mechanically or set wise from realm of the gods and ultimate squad before we got to Z legends.
1: I mean, they released quite a few new cards. I mean, you know, of course they did. Huh? Of course they did. Of course they did. (laughs) Um, they, nothing huge, huge, huge for the game. I mean that I, I noticed, I mean, then again, you know, I do play, you know, I am playing Samasu um yeah, but i didn't i mean you know the they, they, they boosted some of the other colors and stuff like that i just the the big thing that really shook up the game that i can tell you from a player base and i can tell you from new you know previous players who played the game now they're picking up and play the game again and even new players was the z deck i mean it changed the game
0: yes yeah, it's a it's a massive mechanic. It's it's plays a lot like having an extra deck in Yu-Gi-Oh, um, but gives you a benefit to building up your resources when you combo cards, um, yep. which makes you interested in making sure you're comboing on attacks every turn to try and get this built up. Um, and it's and and then gives you some resources to play some powerful things, play a little toolboxy, or play a certain strategy built on Z oh, Awakening. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's a great it's a great mechanic.
1: It changed the way, I mean, it did more, like, it, it changed the way people build their decks. Because now with a Z deck, I mean, you know you're going to get these cards. Like, it isn't a matter of of drawing them. It's literally just, I'm going to combo and I am going to play them. So from a deck building standpoint, you could be like, all right, my Z deck's going to be all of my cards that are going to do damage to my opponent, or it's going to do this strategy. I don't need to include them in my regular deck now um it's it's and then also i mean to even expand on it even further with this mechanic they introduced z leaders so what essentially you could do and they're in the process not everyone has one now because you know they're in the process of building them with this new mechanic but there were certain leaders that could do something called z awakening where if you add so many cards in your your z energy which is when you know every time you not every time you combo but once per turn, or right. not once per turn, but once per, like, attack or defending, you could take one card from your combo area and put it into your Z energy. And there's other cards that can put stuff in your Z energy. I'm looking at you, Shenron, where you just literally put all your Dragon Balls in there, you know. But um, <clears throat> There were cards, like, you could Z Awakening, and it said, like, if your life is at, like, three or less, and you have... Um, three or more Z energy and you pay like one red energy, you could actually put a card on top of your uh, leader and it was your Z awaken leader. So normally your leader, you just flip over to awaken. You could put a card on top of your awakened leader and make it even more powerful and had even more powerful effects. And it just, the Z deck just added so much to the game. So much so, where I'll just briefly mention that I went to an event in Kansas City to play in the Dragon Ball Super Regionals where um, I ordered the new product. Unfortunately, the new product did not come in enough time. It was supposed to pick it up there. So I was kind of at a severe disadvantage. I had none of the new Z-Deck stuff. And I'm like, do not make that much of an impact in the game. Nah, geez, what? So they have a little side Z-Deck. Who cares? Uh, yeah, um, I went four and four.
0: As, which is impressive, being missing an entire mechanic. Like go, that'd be like going to Yu-Gi-Oh tournament, doing four and four with uh, no extra deck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which, like, and for just... some decks is fine, but, like, um, I think is, like, okay-ish maybe. But, yeah, it's, like, definitely where you get a lot of, uh, a lot of interaction and, and impact.
1: Yeah, the, the Z deck. And, and it's just a new, like, again, it's Bandai taking the player's feedback um, hey, we want to add the, you know, we want to spice up the game a little bit, and it did. Like, I mean, this changed it. It's going to be the new block. I mean, you look back. It's the same way when they introduced Unisons, which was, I think, Unisons were introduced like two years ago, which was very familiar to Magic. Yep. Where, um, you know, they they ran that Unison block for oh, like eight they or really, nine. They were a
0: really long time, actually. Yeah, it was a Unison steps. boost in the middle, and then yeah. <clears throat> Um, we're always the, keeping
1: the game fresh. That's yeah. why I like these new mechanics, are keeping it fresh. I remember even when I told you about it and you were just like, wait, what?
0: So Yeah, I was I was I was it it's very intriguing. I think I think they they've got a good team that's that's coming up with some some pretty cool ideas, some good design space to explore um, yeah. that should keep making things interesting. To the point where we also like I, I actually we just got a comment on one of our um our one of your old deck profiles that you did with a Captain Ginyu like budget deck. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, I'm going to ask you actually right after this if you can go respond to that comment on the video because the this uh, kind listener is asking um, what they can put into a deck like this and it, what sort of Z deck cards they might be able to include to oh, uh, okay. to spice this deck up a little bit because um, they're they're new to the game and they they thought your deck was cool. So um, yeah, you have to go take a look at that. But yeah, I mean people are. I think that actually that that also opened my eyes to the to an interesting element of this, which is that we have a design space now that's opened up where they can they can perhaps create um, cards that can support older archetypes that you like always have access to now, which is a, a maybe more guaranteed way of getting like older leaders or order older characters or, or whatever to, to be able to have yeah. a bit more competitive viability.
1: And, and I love, and that's one, that's another thing Bandai, they do so well, is they release cards that support older archetypes. Like, for example, even this most recent um, anniversary box that they released, the fifth anniversary box, <clears throat> which, again, these are when you sit there and say they're 19 sets in Dragon Ball Suit, I mean, it's so really i mean how many sets and new cards they release i mean it's yeah it, yeah way more than that but the fifth anniversary box that they released they tons of these new cards support older cards and older sets and it makes people want to be able to pick them up and go oh hey now i want to try you know majin buu like they created like majin buu support like a blue majin buu card for an older set and um even now i mean uh which I don't want to get too, too much into the future, but I think I even showed you their release. They're already talking about doing stuff with Z decks. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the way they explain the mechanic is something about like leveling up your Z cards or putting something on top of your Z cards from your Z deck to make it even more powerful or from kind of what I've understood from it. Like they're already sending stuff to distributors to kind of hype up the new sets but that, I think, was a huge win, huge, huge win um, by Bandai this year is kind of reinvigorating the game and getting a lot of people who may have put the game down for a little bit. And now, you know, before COVID or everything else, and now they're repicking it back up and going, oh, wow, look at all these changes and, and just totally changes the way you do deck building and everything else.
0: Yep. And it's, and it's very good timing considering they also just announced that they are releasing the digital client, which we've mentioned a couple times next yes. year. That is, so. yeah,
1: yeah. That is another, now that one, um, <clears throat> obviously we don't know the detail, all the details of it yet. I mean, that's going to be coming out in 2023. So I'm hoping when we do this video again, next year, we're going to be talking about the humongous win for the digital client, which there were a lot of players that were saying for a long time, this would never happen. Yes, because of the licensing and everything else
0: well like like i mentioned too like we i think we started off the year on on a not not in a good place but um and i think definitely there you would have had a lot of people saying like yeah like i mean the 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 thought was that we were dragon ball super was being phased out effectively yeah um and digimon was going to take its place and then they announced battle spirits they announced or one piece they announced oh sorry one piece and then battle spirits yeah and um you know, despite that, they've you know the things like the God Rares... the The problem is, the problem is, and this is something that happened in Panini too, is that the perception of a gaming company being kind of for or uh, for the players or for themselves, like either side of it, can really change quite a bit based on the context of what's going on in the game. Because if let's say, if for example, right after Realm of the Gods released. They, which uh, this did not happen. Just to be clear, but right after <laughs> Realm of the Gods released, they announced we are canceling the Dragon Ball Super card game. Okay, then what? What? What do you, Mike? What do you and I think about God rares in that case? Then oh, uh, horrible! Right? And we're like oh, then it's the it's, it's game, like yeah. it's milking cash out of the player base is what people like start saying and everything. Um, so that's something. That's what happened at the end of of Dragon Ball Z Panini, which is that there was a there was a big shift. Um, happening in, in just sort of like how they were structuring structuring their higher rarity cards and everything. But because we didn't get to see the follow up sets to that a lot of people took that as wow, they they just like made more cards, more secret rares, trying to get people to, to buy more product or whatever. Um, and that wasn't the intention, but that's what that's how it, what was the appearance just based on the timing of everything. Yeah. Um, and but now, you know, like now we get to look at this and go, okay, well, they introduced god rares. They they redid their TCG app and they have a digital client coming there. You know, there's obviously what they're trying to do is invest in infrastructure in the game um, to to make sure that it's in a place. And then they, they release the, the Z deck mechanic as well so that they get people to come back and check it out. And oh, by the way, now that you're looking at the game again, there's a digital client coming. Um, and now it's very clear that Bandai is not currently looking at canning the game at any point They're Oh, no. I mean I mean one thing we have to be aware of right is that there there is the possibility and I think this is a far flung possibility but the possibility that um, they eventually physical products are more expensive to release than digital ones I mean that's that's clear right that's just a that's just a thing so there's the possibility that eventually if they need if they decide they need to they cut the paper game and and pour the rest of the resources into the digital and keep it going digitally I don't see that happening because because of how important the collector market is to dragon Ball super exactly um but i'm just putting it out there because people are going to think it and i want i want to you know it's it's it it is a relevant potential scenario but not one that i would put the money into right now matter
1: of fact dan i think that is why they released the digital client because Mm, they realized the collector market and i think the the initial scare was like okay hey we go digital are people still going to play our game are they going to do this and i think um i always say follow the money anytime you're looking at stuff like that but when you're thinking about it from a business perspective it's like okay if we're going to release this digital client are people still going to buy our physical product or are they still going to play play the game look at the collector market and drag. I mean, the collector market, people love collecting Dragon Ball. I mean, just look at all my stuff. I mean, people love the artwork and collecting Dragon Ball. So they know really this digital client, I think they're gonna be doing it very similar to kind of maybe like magic, almost like a marketing tool. Like people are like, hey, you're playing the digital client. You're having a lot of fun. Awesome, great, here check out the cards, check out the artwork, pick up the product. I think it's going to bring in even more players and even more collectors because there's a lot of Dragon Ball content creators out there who do not know about the Dragon Ball card game.
0: Yeah. That's one of the big boons is that you get streamers to play this. Um, And, and it's, and really it's a, it's a recognition of the importance of that side. You know, I I was talking about this in the My Hero episode two, but Today, marketing for TCGs is different than back when we opened up Scry to see what the latest TCGs coming out were. Yeah. If you want to market your TCG right now, you need to be getting people to post pictures on Instagram, uh, getting people to make TikTok videos. You need to be getting people to to stream it on on Twitch and on YouTube and, and wherever. Um that by the way, I, that totally reminds me. I meant to mention this earlier, but if you guys want to see a video of a God Rare being opened up in the very last pack in a booster box, oh uh, yeah, we streamed uh, Kevin and I streamed a pack opening of Don of the Z Legends, and there is a nice little surprise that neither of us expected at the very spoilers, end of box. <laughs> spoilers. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I just I I, I meant to mention that earlier during the God Rare segment, but I totally forgot until we talked about streaming here. But yeah, like I think I think the Dragon Ball. Um, super digital client will serve a great purpose marketing the game. But at the same time, I think you you were sort of hinting at an interesting point here too, which is that um, in the same way that a, the God Rares are sort of a, like uh, a handout to collectors, I think the digital client is a handout to the player side and kind of shows their, their um, it shows that Bandai is still committed to providing to both players and collectors for this game. And they're yes. not just going in, in a sort of a collector focused angle um and and i think i think if this i i hope this gamble works it's good i'm sure it's there that people don't realize I, this is a lot of people don't realize this because everyone for years have been like just make a digital client like just make yeah. one yeah okay that you know what it's actually expensive software yep. development and a digital client being developed by them is a gamble of some amount they have to put some serious time and money into it and it's also a commitment that they're making which will stretch their resources a little bit um and we're, we're going to I, I get in a little bit of this conversation in a lot of podcasts and a lot of content and streaming that we do. But like having a digital client for your game that is popular affects your game in ways you don't expect. Also, yeah. um, what, and I'm just going to really briefly gloss over some of the things that you might see. But like the things to realize that when people are playing a digital client, um, far, 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 far more competitive games of that game is going to happen in a short period of time than people playing in paper. Your meta game is going to shift in, in quick ways and in, in ways you didn't necessarily expect. Um, and, uh, players are going to be able to, depending on how the clients, um, clients, uh, economy works. Um, but for usually what we'd consider a good digital client, players are going to be able to acquire decks much cheaper digitally than they will in paper, which will affect the sales of cards in paper, um, in significant ways from making making it so that certain cards uh, end up bottoming out on bottoming out on prices faster because people aren't picking them up to try them in decks people aren't attempting rogue decks as often because people have done so many reps with other decks online that they don't need to test decks that are just they've already tried out that are bad They're people are more used to playing the more popular decks and some prices it, it may it may sort of uh, it may sort of change that curve of prices to be a little more extreme where that the good cards end up being more expensive because more people are used to playing with those. They understand the power level. The meta has been solved online and the the less good, the more like tier two, tier one cards end up bottoming on prices because people just know that that's not the deck to play right now because of how f- much they've played the game. Yeah. There's- <clears throat> and more and more. There are, there are more impacts that happen, but that's the kind of thing that that is a potential downside and i'm not saying it's like a it's 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 instead of a silver lining it's it's like a rusty lining to this right it's like it's it's i think the digital client is a good thing overall but there are some pitfalls to watch for
1: i also i don't know the other thing i'm and and i'm gonna kind of do devil's advocate a little bit on that the other thing i'm hoping is that we do start seeing a lot more because with this digital client You're going to get a lot of people like I'll be honest, I'm up here in North Dakota. I don't get to play as much as somebody who's in New York or California, Florida, who's got like 40, 50 person locals like I I don't. But now with this digital client, something more official and getting a lot more players, I'm thinking with the massive amount of card database that we have, the massive amount of resources that we have, I could start seeing some decks that maybe you would not have seen on
0: paper. I don't think that's games. impossible. Yeah,
1: yeah, that, <clears throat> yeah. That's I, I, that can I I be could discovered. start seeing. It. I mean, we even seen it at this nationals, this m- most recent nationals. A lot of people were just on, you know, online and we talking about, yep, red deck. Red's gonna, red's gonna destroy everything. Red's gonna destroy everything. And then these content creators, uh, they were really quiet. They were really quiet. Oh, yeah, red's gonna destroy everything. What happened? They come in with uh, blue crimson Goku and just, oh man. Yeah, the final two as a matter of fact. The final two was um uh, Marcus Catani. Um and I, I played on his streams all the time. Like I yes. love Marcus. And lo and behold, um Andrew Duvall, who the defending national champion, and he won again two yep. years in a row.
0: And hey, to dude, be clear, a great player. He plays my hero too. He's a he's just he's an excellent player.
1: Yeah. And to be no. clear, these aren't small tournaments. Like this, this no. national we recently had was the biggest nationals Dragon Ball Super has ever had. To talk about the future of the game, it was the biggest nationals. It was over five hundred. It capped out. They had prizing for five hundred and twelve folks. Yeah, and um, yeah, they had last chance qualify. It was the biggest nationals ever. And and, and I really, think to be clear, this was an invite to get into this event. So
0: I think um, I think that really uh well, one thing two things to say the first thing that i want to say really quick is that i i don't disagree with you at all that the possibility of like rogue decks being discovered on, on a digital client is is maybe a little easier but the problem also is that they also are discovered by people who would have been caught off guard by them at a tournament before and it does impact how your metagame works because then like imagine if instead that blue deck started showing up on the ladder on digital clients now suddenly all these guys were coming to try and like counter uh the the known meta with a rogue deck are now part of the known meta it yeah. just like i said it just changes it changes how your meta game is going to work quite a bit um but i think what you just said totally capstones our thoughts on uh on the year i think i think that we started off in a place where a lot of players were um not feeling very good about the state yeah. of the game as we mentioned and there were a number of things we had. I think I think Mythic Booster, we can easily say, was the worst release of the year. <laughs> just like it, it wasn't what people were looking for. Um, Fest was not what people were looking for. And the game just wasn't looking very good. But I think by the end of the year, we've gotten to the point where we're, we're having the biggest nationals ever. We have great mechanics that are exciting people. We have collectors who are happy finding cards that are holding value very well. Yeah. These, these god rares i mean like you might expect in a lot of games as god rares to like tank in value pretty quickly afterwards but they have held pretty well they're they're very strong and i think looking like strong investments for players so we have like for collectors so we have collectors looking at the game we have players looking back at the game again we have and we have everybody looking forward to uh digital client and potential growth of the game um i'd say where where digimon felt like it was a just a pretty solid year few little dips but a pretty solid year overall Um, my hero has been a game and I'm just kind of like capsuling our other podcast right now. My hero has been a game that's gone up and down a little bit. Um, and, but is like growing, but maybe like just at a slower pace. Um, Dragon Ball Super feels like a, a game where it had a curve that started at the bottom, but is going up and is, has a very high potential going into next year.
1: Oh 100%. Definitely so I'd say- looking towards the future for for Dragon Ball Super. Like I'm I'm stoked with the client. I mean, and the fun thing is I just purchased an RV this year, so I'm going to I'm going to be traveling to some events, getting some people and um yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to next year 100%. Like the game, is just, you know, collectors, players, new mechanics. I'm super excited.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um I think I think this is a great time to be uh, looking at the Dragon Ball Super card game, if you were out of the game for a while and are just catching this podcast and like were interested in checking it out again, um, you can you could check it out now. You could wait for the digital client to try it out when it comes out. Um, but I think I think uh, 2022 was a better year than for for Dragon Ball Super than any of us thought it was going to be at the start. Oh, yeah. 100%. So. Hundred um, percent. All right. Well, I think Mike. Did you have any other parting thoughts about 2022? Um. No, I'm oh. just look. I did. <clears throat> I did. I had something I had to bring up.
1: Okay, go ahead. Okay, okay.
0: Ultimate Dark Dragon Slaying Bullet. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All
1: right. <clears throat> I'm gonna give a. I'm gonna give a brief one on that. Um, uh, just a brief thing. So, you know, uh, wording in in card games can be quite funny. And this was one of those cards where it first came out, everyone just kind of read it at first, and they was just kind of like, okay, not that good. Like, uh, um, if I recall correctly, like you had to... Like, I
0: have the wording for you right here.
1: All right, yeah, minus some unison thing.
0: Go ahead, counter, go ahead. counter play. If your opponent is playing a unison card, they may either remove a marker from it for every two cards in their drop area and warp, or place it in their drop area instead of playing it. If they don't, your opponent can only attack one more time for the turn. Okay. Um Yep. So, so, so okay, now, now I remember.
1: Okay. <clears throat> so when this card came out, <clears throat> everyone originally, you know, they kind of glossed over it or whatever, <clears throat> and they were like, okay, great. Your opponent, you know, you can only counterplay this on, like, when they have a unison out. Like, or when they play a unison or whatever, you know, meaning that, yeah, right. Like they could, they could just minus it off their unison. Who cares? Move on. Card's not that good. Well, because of the original wording on the card, like there was like a colon, there was something, there was a colon in the wording
0: somewhere. The, the issue, the issue with the wording was that it it states that it can be used as a counterplay. Yeah. to to counter a play yep. but it's worded that um not that it's required to be used when a unison is played it's yeah. worded in the way it's worded you could you it was originally it's been errated which yeah. is what we're going to talk about but yeah. um but the original wording was that you your opponent could be playing any card and you could counterplay this and then it tells the opponent well opponent if you're playing a unison right now you can do one of these things if you don't you can only attack one more time this turn and the opponent goes well i'm not playing unison well, thus i can thus i cannot do either of those things yep. thus i can only attack one more time this turn
1: yeah and it was and, and, and keep in mind this card was a quote unquote did not have like a color cost it was no like it was black. a
0: black colorless card for one yep. <laughs> which just oh, said right. Your opponent can only attack one time any turn you play this card. Basically. If you
1: look on the history of TCG player at this card. So the thing is, is when it first came out, everyone read it just as like, yeah, you have to counterplay a unison. Like there's got to be a unison out for them to do these other effects. I don't know if it was, I'll be honest. I don't, I, I wasn't reading the forms entirely at the time. I don't know if it was just like one judge just went. Oh, hey guys! You know it don't work like this. Or one player figured it out and it got called in a tournament. And it's like, oh wow, yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, you've got to do that. <clears throat> yeah, it. That this card. is a
0: fascinating. Yeah, it shot up right after that. It was a fascinating um, element to the game where a player. Th- this released last year in Cross Spirits, but and it was just like a whatever, like a bulk, like SR that just who you know what whatever. Who cares about it really? And a player just kind of figured it out or a judge or something in, in a recent, in an event that happened in 2022. Yeah. And then it, once, once everyone realized how it had to work based on the wording, then it became like the card in yeah. the game, the most yeah. powerful card, just like yeah. straight up.
1: I, I forget how long it took. Cause I know flash ended up flash, ended up re- reaching out to Bandai and were like, are, are we keeping this this way? Because right now we have to judge it this way. And I remember Bandai ended up making an official statement and said, "Okay, no, 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 no we we're, we're, we're fixing this." Like yeah, no, so
0: right? it got it got errated to say you can only activate this when your opponent is playing a Unison card. Yeah, so that now they yeah they have to do the thing. <laughs> they can't yeah, just you
1: got to counterplay a Unison. I mean, yeah, you
0: know, yeah. Um so, and. I, and I want to bring that up too, because like that—that's you know there have been. This is, I think, the most egregious ruling mistake that's happened in the game, um, in my in my memory. For this um, year, yes. <laughs> okay, maybe there are other ones that are more egregious, but actually, that serves my point as well, which is that there is some hesitation, some trepidation going into the digital client, because Bandai has not always been perfect about how these cards are worded, and there's there's the the potential for some big differences in how the digital client says a card works and how it actually works. And we're going to, we're going to enter this, this brave new world of Dragon Ball super. um, Hopefully with a slightly open mind about how we are, uh, how we are dealing with things going forward, because if Fashbinder says it works one way, but the digital client says it works another who who exactly are we going to listen to then because yeah. there's the person who has the the most rules knowledge in the game i think not arguably versus uh, the client that is designed to play the cards the way they are designed to work yeah right and and you know at, at some point then there's going to have to be the the community deciding and and bandai's maybe hopefully like making it very clear what the authority is in this case and and understanding how to approach dealing with either like do i change do we change how it works digitally or do we change the text on both to make it work the way it's supposed to i think that's the better option obviously um but there will be hurdles they're yeah. not not really um it's not even really up in the air because they have like you just mentioned mike they've historically had Ruling quirks that have had to be dealt with, which, you know, it's like whatever. It happens in card games, but yeah. um, it's going to happen in, in a way that impacts people rapidly in the digital platform in yeah. interesting ways again.
1: All I got to say is play testing, play testing, play testing. Yep. There's got to be play testers. Like, I, for you, get your most experienced players on that digital client. And what I want to see Bandai say is here's our client. I want you to try to break it. Yep. I want you to try to break it. I dare you to break it. And yeah, that and then, then release it to the, the public. So I'm crossing my fingers that they're going to have good play testing, They're going to have good feedback and they're going to be able to fix that and, 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 and cross that hurdle and release a good product.
0: That is that is what we can hope for. All right. So, sorry for that aside, Mike. Mike, did you have anything you wanted to add about twenty twenty two?
1: No, I know this. Uh, I know this podcast has been getting pretty long, but um, yeah, super excited. Um, and uh, we can talk a little bit more. I know we're going to be doing towards the end the podcast for the future, so we can talk yes. a little bit about yeah, definitely so, will. Looking forward to that.
0: All right. Well, um, I appreciate you being on with us today again, Mike. It's always a pleasure. Everyone loves hearing your positive spirit in uh, in every one of these episodes. Um again a huge shout out to our patrons thank you guys so much for supporting the channel we hope that you guys are enjoying our december full of content for you with lots and lots of podcasts i've got a few other non-podcast videos that are going to be coming out as well so i hope you guys stay tuned if you're on youtube you are staying tuned and finding stuff you like and do let us know whether you do like things using the little buttons in the comments and all that nonsense below because it really does help and I, i love trying to respond to all our comments we get and everything so i love hearing from you guys um if you are waiting for what our next one is i believe if i remember right we're doing magic the gathering on uh, at the end of this week here so if you are interested in hearing our take on uh, and magic the gathering has had an interesting year for sure oh, so yeah. Oh, yeah we've got we're really gonna have that. a whole lot to talk about there um, and I, that's going to be with a guest, a local and friend of mine, Dana, Dana Mickelson, who is uh, who's a local judge as well and and helps tournament organize in our local area. And we'll have, I think, a lot of fun things to talk about. So swing on back for that one at the end of the week. But uh, until then, guys, I want to thank you all for tuning in today. I hope you did enjoy this podcast and you will be back again for some more wonderful, wonderful TCG content from my great friends like Mike here and, and Dana next the end of the week. So you guys have a great night. Take care. We'll see you next time.
1: See you, everyone.